Perhaps you've ever heard somebody say, quote, we're the correct church, you're wrong, or all churches are correct, or it doesn't matter which denomination or group you're a part of, we all worship the same thing, though have a bunch of different practices, or whatever the case may be. Or maybe you're even somebody that says that you're the right church and everybody else is wrong. But the question I have for you is, do you really understand that claim, or those claims I should state? Is there multiple churches? Well, I like to think of when Christ, uh, when we're told that the church is the bride of Christ. It says bride, singular. The Bible never really teaches polygamy in the New Testament, right? We're supposed to be one man and one wife, uh, husband and wife. And so if the church is the bride of Christ, then there's naturally going to be one church, one unified body of the saved that all uh, revolve around the same teaching, the same gospel, and of course, the same Jesus not some man-made uh, version of him, of course. And so this would be part one of a series I like to call The Church as Revealed in the New Testament. See, if you want to be a part of the correct church, you simply need to adhere to the Bible. You need to stay faithful to the Word of God and see what the Word of God states the church truly is. And if your church is not built up in the New Testament format, then you are most likely in a man-made church or denominational group. You want to be in the church that belongs to Christ. So in this series, we're going to talk about things such as the personal effects of being in the church. We're going to talk about the broad effects. That means the whole universal effect of the community. We're going to talk about questions of can you uh, for forfeit your salvation? We're going to talk about questions as how to be added to the church, how to be saved, what builds up the church, what is the correct New Testament uh, format for worship, um, the name of Christ's church. Uh, now, hold on to that fact. I know that's kind of an odd thing to say, the name of Christ's church. It's obviously Christ's church, the church of Christ. But anywho, some of the topics we're going to talk about, also church leadership and some of the claims that Jesus made about himself and, of course, his teaching. And so with that, we're going to start with the personal effects of being the church. Now, if you are not taught that about these personal effects of being in the church, then again, consider which church you're a part of. Now, what do I mean by personal effects? This would be, of course, to our own salvation, our own walk with God, through, of course, salvation being through faith in Jesus Christ, faith in the gospel. And we'll talk about what that word faith means later on in the series, too. But let's start with the personal effects of being in the true church. I want to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You'll have to forgive me. I, uh, I'm using my phone Bible, and so I sometimes make spelling errors, and so i got to research things. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Now, I want to stop because we hear a very important phrase there. The phrase, quote, in Christ, unquote. You see, the phrase in Christ and the phrase the church are synonymous. You can't be 
a born-again saved Christian and not be in the church. And you can't be in the church without being a born-again saved Christian. Now, I know people can fall away into sin, of course, and still show up and still be technically a member of the Lord's church. But the point I'm getting at here is the, the phrase in Christ and the church are synonymous. When you're baptized into Christ, not only are you saved, but you're added to the church because the church is the unified body of the saved. And if you fall from grace, uh, then perhaps you're no longer in that saving body of Christ, which again is the church. And we'll talk about that later on in the study, of course, but bear with me for now as we continue on the personal effects of the gospel. You see, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that when we are in the church, when we're in Christ, we are a new creation. I also like to think of John chapter 3, verse 3, when Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot be, excuse me, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot be in the kingdom of God without being a new creation, without being a new creature, without being born again. Now, another thing we're going to talk about later is the fact that the church is also the kingdom of God. They are synonymous terms. Uh, I like to think of before Christ ascends, the apostles say, are you at this time going to reestablish your kingdom? Jesus says, it's not for you to know the time or the season. And he was referring to the fact that wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, and then on the day of Pentecost, we'll establish the kingdom, the church, the body of Christ, and so on and so forth. The kingdom isn't something that's going to come. It's here. The church is the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus went around preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So, the kingdom of God isn't something that is yet to come, as many people teach. The kingdom of God is here and now. And if your church doesn't teach that the church is the kingdom of God, then you need to reconsider your options. Now we know of the kingdom of heaven, which is also sometimes called the kingdom of God, which is what we will, of course, inherit at the day of judgment, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, to when Jesus, or excuse me, when Paul says... Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is, of course, talking about the kingdom of heaven, uh, salvation with our Lord Jesus. Of course, when you're baptized into Christ, you are declared righteous, and you are added to the kingdom of God. The church and the kingdom are synonymous. Now, moving forward, the second personal effect is no condemnation. We read that again in Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Again, pretty simple. We know Jesus paid for our sin debt, and so, of course, there's no longer going to be a debt owed. We also see in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, as we mentioned earlier, when you're baptized into Christ, you're placed into the church. So when Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, uh, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. See, when you're baptized into Christ Jesus, you're added to the church. And why are we baptized? For the forgiveness of our sins. So there's obviously not going to be condemnation because our sins have been washed away in baptism when we're added to the church. And then, of course, Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. You can't be saved and still have condemnation over your head. You have, they're synonymous. You're saved and there's no condemnation over your head. And, of course, if you sin, then you need to repent and uh, confess that sin to God, which will also be mentioned later on in our study of the church. Number three of personal effects 
is probably the most important one, which again is synonymous with everything we're studying, and that's simply salvation. We see in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, salvation is found in Christ. Christ In Christ is also synonymous with the church. That's where salvation is found. And then, of course, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Most important verse I like to think of that whole book. It simply states, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You may know that you have eternal life. And now how do I know that? Examine yourself by John's letter in 1 John uh, throughout the whole book. John makes it very clear how you can know that you have eternal life simply by obeying the writings in that book. Are you loving your brother? Are you loving God? Are you repenting of sins, walking in the light, staying true to the true doctrine? And uh, so on and so forth. And not loving the things of the world. You may know that you have salvation. I like to think of 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. If we continue to walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus continues, or excuse me, the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sins. So if we want salvation, again, we need to walk in the light. Number four, redemption. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, which is what we're talking about, all the spiritual blessings. But if we move on down to verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Which, of course, brings me to uh, the next one, forgiveness of our sins. As we just read, forgiveness of our sins is found there in Christ Jesus and his blood. Our sins are washed away at baptism. We also have Acts chapter 22, verse 16, that says, uh, And now why do you wait? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. When you're baptized, you call on the name of the Lord, and that's when your sins are washed away, is through baptism. So forgiveness of sins is found in Christ. And as I just mentioned, all spiritual blessings from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. That's, again, what we're talking about. All the spiritual blessings are found in Christ, and of course, in Christ means the church. And the last one I want to talk about is uh, justification and sanctification. I mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11 earlier, which talked about the unrighteous not inheriting the kingdom of God. Well, if you jump down to verse 11, it says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. What is the washed mean? Well, again, it's referring to baptism. Your sins are washed away, you're put in Christ meaning you were sanctified, you were set apart from sin, set apart as saved, and you are justified. Your sins have been justified, excuse me, you've been justified. There's no longer condemnation over you for your sins. Now again, we could continue to talk about all the spiritual blessings uh, in regards to the personal effect of being in Christ and being in the church, but I think we've pretty much made the point clear. If you ever want to learn more about spiritual blessings, that we have in the church and in Christ. Best thing to do, if you have a Bible app where you can search phrases that will bring up verses, search phrases such as in Christ, in Him, in Jesus Christ, in our Lord, in His name, anything like that, and you will most likely bring up either a greeting from one of the epistles or simply uh, 
a spiritual blessing that's guaranteed us in Christ, in Him, in Jesus, in His name, in the Lord. So, as we continue on now, we're going to wrap up today's topic, and we'll come back later on with the discussion of spiritual blessings and statements in Scripture that refer to the church as a whole, the community, uh, things that we've alluded to earlier about being the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and so on and so forth. So I hope you'll stick around in this study as we discover what the true New Testament church looks like and should look like and continues to look like to this day if you're in the right church, the church.